During constant change, your leadership has never been more important to create a better and more inclusive world. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma, a podcast for the insatiably curious to explore the power of human-centered leadership to create real momentum for positive and sustainable change. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we speak to global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors as we discover that success leaves clues. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico. Welcome to another episode of The Leadership Enigma. I am delighted we are back at LaunchPod Studios. I'm excited for this episode. I'm excited for every episode. But we've also got some wonderful news as well, because as you can see on the screens around you, the Leadership Enigma podcast is now proudly brought to you by Emeritus Insights. We know that daily learning is so powerful for us in every way, shape and form as we try now and propel ourselves beyond the global pandemic. Hell, whether you're an 18-year-old disruptor sat in a garage or whether you're a mature CEO of a multinational, this is still relevant to you. So I have a little offer for you, courtesy of Emeritus, is that now you can get 20% discount on the annual subscription. If you go to www.insights.emeritus.org and if you use the unique code ENIGMA20, you will get your 20%. But back to this amazing episode, no pressure. But (laughs) I'm going to introduce you in a moment to my wonderful guest, Nick Holly, who is a global educator. He's the director of the Corporate Research Forum and all-round good fellow. Now, we know, don't we, that we always do our very best in early life to try and be confident and competent in any discipline, whether it's law, engineering, accountancy, marketing, sales, whatever it might be. But one of the biggest challenges as the years go by and perhaps we take more senior positions is how do we become an enterprise leader? How do we have the courage maybe to let go of those skills and capabilities that we embraced so tightly because that was in essence who we were what we were known for and how we were successful and how do we let go of that and become more of the enterprise leader well that is why i'm here with nick holly so he will go through the six mindsets of the enterprise leader this could go anywhere this episode but nick welcome to the leadership enigma thanks so much happy to be here adam oh it's so good to see you it really is so (laughs) nick everyone's got a bit of a story so tell us a little bit about you your background because you and i have worked together on many projects in many countries but tell us so my story first role i ever had was an army officer to be honest, I was hopeless. I was absolutely useless at it. Failed totally, but I learned a lot from it. Um, I then worked in the city at Merrill Lynch as uh, basically a broker, oh, foreign that. exchange trader for ten years. Um, intriguingly, because when because of where I went, I'd never even heard of HR in those days. Um, then I did a huge career transition. I went into OD, change management. Spent about seventeen years in corporate roles. My last job, I was director of global people development at Vodafone. And then 15 years ago, <clears throat> I left corporate life, yep. never regretted it for a minute. Actually, that's not true. I did regret it the first day because I had my own laptop now. So I remember re- ringing up triple three to get them to sort out uh, a problem with my laptop. And it was unobtainable. I suddenly realized I've got no more IT help desk. No, that's it. That's it. Sole trader. Absolutely. So the last 15 years, I've had a portfolio. Everything's linked by people and performance. So whether it's leadership development working with the HR function. I probably work with over 100 organizations in something like 32 countries. About two years ago, that meant getting lots and lots of air miles. 
Nowadays, those days are gone, gone, Nick. Absolutely. (laughs) They're pretty much valueless now, aren't they, those air miles? Uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But listen, I I really wanted the the time for you to come into the studio so we could talk about, I think, this quite knotty conundrum about how on earth you become an enterprise leader. But let's start with what on earth is an enterprise leader? So, and it it comes back to something that you said in your introduction. I I think there's a real problem in leadership, leadership development, leadership assessment, what we don't recognize is being an enterprise leader is fundamentally different to leading a business unit, a team, a function, a country or whatever. Because as an enterprise leader, you have to have this transversal view across the whole organization. And as you say, the real challenge for an enterprise leader is letting go of all the things that's made her brilliant in her previous job. And we'll run through, there are six areas. We're going to go through those, right? Which we can okay. talk about. But I think it's a real challenge for leaders to, to let go of what they're good at and what they enjoy. I remember the first time, not necessarily a leadership role, but my first management role. The, the thing I found difficult was, was not doing the things that not only I enjoyed I was good at, but gave me my self-esteem. Right. Of getting other people to take the credit And one of my favorite quotes about leadership is, there is no limit to what you can achieve if you don't have to take the credit. And to be honest, my ego was a little bit too too bruised to let go of credit to other people. I wanted to take the credit. And that's the kind of thing you have to let go of. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges even now, isn't it, for people to, in some ways, try and link an achievement to themselves in order to value themselves, get the next promotion, get the next salary increase, whatever it might be. So there's a human nature piece here, isn't there? Absolutely. But I'll give you an example of how it should be done. So for quite a long period of time, I was a judge at the HR Strategy Awards for Personnel Today, a right. HR magazine. And there used to be a big award ceremony at the Grosvenor House Hotel in London. And uh, the winner of the HR Director of the Year Award, I remember, had booked a table for all of his team because they had like a Strictly Come Dancing, it's all good food, good entertainment. Right. And when they announced his name as the winner, I noticed he came up to the stage and then he called his team up. Right. And each one of them went up and and he shook their hands and then he sat down and it was some celebrity was looking at, who do I give it to? And he gave it to one of the other people. Nice. And I thought that was a great example of letting go of the ego of the need. Now, he's not stupid. His name is, you know, on the award. He's yep. on the front page of the next day. But he knew that's the moment to empower his team and get them to take the credit. Well, in essence, that's leading and achieving through others, isn't it, which is so important. Absolutely. Nick, actually, when you said, I've got a, I had a flashback then, because when you said Judge HR, I suddenly thought you were going to talk about that event you did where you had the wig and the gown on. Do you remember? Because uh, you yes. did at court. Yes, I did at court with a wig and a gown. <laughs> and then, and then uh, very stupidly sent me a photo, yes. which I then printed out and put on my desk, I think. Yes, then, and, anyway. and I think you put it on the internet, if I remember right. I'm not sure I went that far, but anyway, I <laughs> The good thing is it didn't destroy my credibility because I had none anyway. Well, here we are both in a studio uh, with hopefully uh, no one watching and listening. So we'll be fine together. Listen, let's talk about the six mindsets of the enterprise leader. Um, You talked about how does someone traverse so they see the whole business. And sometimes there's a model called T-shaped leadership, isn't there? So just give us a little bit of an overview of T-shaped leadership, just in case anyone's heard that and thinking, is that the same thing? Sure. So so most people get promoted into a leadership position because they have deep technical expertise in a particular area. This transversal thing is you have to actually understand the whole business and how it all fits together. 
So a, a real example, I remember quite a long time ago, I was in charge of succession planning in an organisation. Yeah. And we were looking at a new group finance director. Okay. And the financial controller automatically assumed that he was going to get the job because he was the, the number two in, in the area. And it was quite difficult to help him understand that being the group CFO was totally and utterly different and required totally different skill sets. You know, in particular, one of the CFO's most important role is external facing, talking to the analysts, the media, to convince them of the story. And this guy was was brilliant as an accountant, his, you know, the depth of that and his depth of understanding the business. But he didn't have the communication skills. He didn't have the vision skills. He didn't really understand marketing, sales, HR, right. procurement, etc. He just was very, very narrow. So that was his career. He couldn't do that. And by the way, I think it's a real issue in a lot of organizations. Leaders fail. You know Peter's principle. Right. Because often we promote them into leadership positions based on them being good in their current role. We were talking about this, weren't we? Being great in what they do, and they're going to be useless in what they're going to do. Absolutely. And what we don't do is to prepare them for that. Right. So I do a lot of work in HR. And I think one of the big challenges in HR is you get a lot of deep specialists in reward or organisational and etc. An HR director has that transversal leadership role and needs to understand all of it. So why do we put people into a deep technical role and then their career is like a drinking straw? Whereas I think the key is you've got to give people those breadth of experiences. You know, in particular, I think any leader who's not had profit responsibility, yep. I just don't see how you can be a really effective leader in a commercial business if you don't understand the dynamic balance between that and the pressure that puts you under. Am I right in thinking, though, that there are some people who want... I like the way you talked about the drinking straw, that some people want to be in the drinking straw. You know, I remember... Well, I'll tell you a story. Yeah. I remember uh, being partnered up with a, a phenomenal detective on the, uh, on the crime squad who never, ever took promotion. He wanted to be the best in what yeah. he did, and he was. And actually the very senior leaders would go to him a lot to ask for his advice and guidance because of his deep technical expertise. He knew what he was good at. He was happy in the, in the drinking straw, yep. wasn't interested in the enterprise. So some people are made for the drinking straw. And, and I absolutely agree with that. Um, but if we expect those people to step into a broader leadership role, we're setting them up to fail. Yeah. You know, my personal experience, so I left corporate life 15 years ago, you don't look old enough. <laughs> yeah, I know, but thank you, Adam. Yeah, anyway, uh, it's amazing what 40 years old looks like. Um, but joke, joking apart, what I realised, so I was 47, and I kind of, within my specialist area, there was really nowhere else for me to go. Right. And I don't think that I had the breadth of experience. I also, frankly, you might find this difficult to believe, I think I lacked the gravitas. Well, perish the thought, Lynn. Um you know, I, I've always suffered with two people. So there's one person lives on this shoulder saying, tell the joke, tell the joke, Nick, it's funny, they'll like you. And on this shoulder, there's somebody saying, Nick, it's a board meeting, it's totally inappropriate to tell <laughs> Which the joke. one wins? Always this oh, one. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and, but the point is, I, I like that person. I don't like, I, that's, that's who I am. And what it made me realise, it was pointless stepping into a leadership role that yep. I would fail in because I didn't have the quality to be an enterprise leader. I had the quality in my in my L and D background to be good at that. Yeah. But my next job, I, I just knew if I'd gone into it. And by the way, I think this is something that people really need to think about. Go on. Is when they get feedback, um, you can look at it in three ways. One is 
actually they're saying, I don't know, I'm not a visionary. Well, they're wrong, I am. But hey, people don't think you are. So what you need to think about is how you can develop and on well, actually how you can show, show people who you really are. Um, the second thing is they say, I'm not a visionary. Do you know what? I'm not, but I could be. And I need to think how I can really develop and embed those skills. The yep. tough one is to recognize, do you know what? I'm not, and that's not who I am. And, that, and that's, it's okay. And it's, and it's not what I want to be, and it's okay. Yeah. But that means I'm not going to make that ultimate career step. I need to find a way of keeping for the next 10, 20 years or whatever, my excitement, my engagement, right. knowing I'm going to go s sideways. Or in my case, leaving corporate life completely and frankly, having the most fantastic 15 years of my life, and, and even at the age of 40. Exactly. I was just about to say that. And listen, I know <laughs> you, you'll be very humble, but I've seen you deliver to multiple clients in multiple regions. And, and that's why we became friends. And yeah. I've seen what you what you do and how you're able to transform leaders, which is which is astonishing. Uh, and there's so many things in this, you know, about personal brand, about self-awareness, the ability to say, I just, I can't do that. And okay, yeah, I'm okay yeah, with that. Yeah. But let's talk about someone who is rising through the ranks, climbing the drinking straw, I kind of love that <laughs> phrase. And they're thinking about, yeah, they're thinking about the enterprise. There are six mindsets. You've done yeah. some work. So let's, sure. let's deal with those. So what would be the first one, Nick? So the first one is from tactical to strategic. All right, tell us about that. So to me, strategic thinking is in essence two things. Yep. <clears throat> First of all, it's outside-in thinking. Okay. A lot of tactical people, and, and I see a lot of so-called leaders who are very operationally focused on what they're doing today. Which is important. Which, absolutely. And, you know, as an enterprise leader, you need to be people who can do the tactics. But your role is to step up into that strategic role, which is outside-in. To be thinking what's going on outside the organisation with the megatrends in demographics, politics, yep. technology... My customers, how are they changing? My competitors, how are they trying to beat me? And bring that back into the thinking within the organization. Right. The second thing is future back thinking. Okay, tell me about that. So again, tactical thinking is what am I doing today? What am I doing next week? Right. Future back is in three, five years time, we gotcha. aim to be here. Like now, reverse engineering. Yeah, working back from that, okay. what do I need to be doing today? So there's a number of things there because there was a phrase I loved from a client which, which was noise to signal. How can you take the noise externally and, and translate it into signal for internally? And I did an episode with Nick Jankel, who's a futurist, and said yep. that transformational leadership is the balance between outside in and inside out. And that's exactly the point you're making, really, isn't it? And as an enterprise leader, I think it's recognising that the majority of people are probably inside-out thinkers. And as you said, that's really, really important. Well, it keeps the lights on, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, and if you have a great strategy but you can't deliver it, so what? You've got to stay in business. Okay. But it's, it, it's understanding what, what role do you need to step into? Yep. And coming back to the start of the conversation, honestly, can you? I think that's a fair question, isn't it, that perhaps all leaders need to ask and not be afraid yeah. of the answer. Yeah. yeah, So the first one is tactical to strategic. Number two. So number two is bricklayer to architect. Layer to architect. Go so, if you have a strategy, the key constraint on your strategy is building the organizational capability to deliver it, whether that's the individuals with their skill, their style, how yeah. many, when, where, etc., or if it's the context, the organizational context you create for every individual to be the best they can be. So, that's the, the structure, the systems, the culture, yep. how you reward, etc., etc. And what a, what a leader needs to think about is not 
building each individual part, laying the bricks, right. but architecting, designing the whole organization and again, doing it future back. So it's not being limited by what we do today and how we do it. It's thinking if that's our strategy, what do we what do we need to build in terms of capability to get there? Okay, so there's an element of reverse engineering again. Absolutely. And seeing the bigger picture. And thinking systemically, okay. which I think is absolutely fundamental. When I talk to some of the great people like Adrian Furnham and Thomas Chamoros Premyshek, um, who are brilliant at understanding the, the human aspect of leadership, it, it was quite challenging for me when they all said, actually, the biggest predictor of leadership success is intellect. Right. You've got to have enough intellect. You know, it's not being intellectual, but it's being able to think systemically about unbelievable complexity. And I, I'm sure in one of your previous podcasts, you probably talked about the difference between complicated and complex. Go for it. So complicated is something that has many moving parts, but they fit together in a particular way. Okay. And the expertise, the engineer or whoever, who can, who can tweak it and make it work together. Right. Complexity, you're dealing with uncertainty. Right. You're dealing with black swans is the big phrase at the moment, where the only outcome you won't get is the one you expect. Right. And therefore, there is not an engineering answer to it. You actually have to be willing to engage with the complexity and understand that in a complex world, there is no right answer. So complicated and complex, because, you know, we talk about the VUCA environment, don't we? The volatile, uncertain, complex yep. and ambiguous. I've got a question. I want to digress. Nick, right. you just mentioned it. Was the pandemic a black swan? Um, I remember talking to, and I've got to think, Stephen Bungay. Okay. Um, don't know if you ever come across him. Never he's he's him. another guy you should have on your podcast. <laughs> Brilliant. Just tell him where we are, Nick. Brilliant. Um, get him. Get him to tell his uh, gladiator analogy. But I'll leave. Well, I'll leave thank you for that. Story. Okay, we'll we'll find out. But he's a prof strategic professor. Okay. And he was involved in a war game. I think he said in 2015 with the British government, <clears throat> looking at what they do when the next pandemic happened. Right. Because there'd been SARS, there'd been MERS, yeah. there was Ebola. You know, it's not like nobody thought there was going to be a pandemic. The thing that shocked me was he's, you know, he he actually at the beginning of the pandemic told me what was going to happen. And it almost happened exactly as he predicted that, you know, the denial of it, you know, it's that, you know, the surprise, anger, rejection, acceptance, help, right. that okay. thing. And, you know, the fact that there would be the biggest problem would be disinformation, the problem that everybody would Living be talking the about the science as if yep. there is only one science and the media have learned this you can always find an expert to say something totally contradictory oh, i can to tell it. you that from courtroom yeah <laughs> we could always find an expert on yeah. something and so is was it a black swan i i don't know like because to me it wasn't entirely unpredicted the, the the element of the black swan definition that i do agree with is after the event everybody claimed that they knew it was going to happen right <laughs> Hindsight's wonderful, isn't it? 2020, 2020, vision, 2020 vision. Exactly. So we've got number one, tactical to strategic. Number two, bricklayer to architect. Yep. What's number three, Nick? So in no particular order, but it's almost my favourite. Okay. Is from problem solver to agenda setter. Oh, yeah, okay. I like this one. So because problem solver to agenda setter. So most people get promoted into a leadership position because they are good at solving distinct problems. Right. They have a methodology. They have the experience. And in particular, this is the real issue is they usually look at a problem, yep. work out which previous problem they experience it looks like, and apply their experience to it. And this is the issue with, with something like a black swan or complex issues, 
is they haven't happened before yeah. or they've happened in a different way and your experience isn't relevant. Yeah, a limited frame of reference. As an enterprise leader, your role is to set the agenda, to define what are the critical problems that we are facing, make sure that you have the right people to address the right problems, okay. make sure they have a process to go through and there's follow-up afterwards. And in particular, picking up on one of my favourite quotes, which is Einstein, if I had an hour to save the world, I'd spend 55 minutes defining the problem yeah. and five minutes saving yeah, the world. Yeah, I love that. And that's what an agenda setter needs to do, is make sure people have actually spent time understanding what the problem is and whether their experience is relevant or not. Now, again, this comes down to the essence of what we said at the beginning. The problem of being a problem solver is you love solving problems. And again, your self-esteem, you know, and everything you've built your career is solving problems. All of a sudden, you don't have to solve those problems. And another good friend of mine, Toby Payton Jones, who was the Northern European HR director at uh, Siemens. Right. One of the great HR directors I've ever worked with. He said his role was to look at all the problems they were facing yep. and work out the majority that he needs to delegate and the tiny minority of problems that actually it was his job to solve. Gotcha. There's a humility piece there, isn't there, in relation to be able to step away and say, I don't have to have all the answers because I'll, in some ways, I'll set us on our course, which must have been a, this must have been a huge issue for the pandemic. Rather than trying to solve the problems, which people couldn't, set the agenda to navigate through the storm. But, but, and I, but I do feel sorry for a lot of politicians because, A, they don't have particularly small egos in general. So there's a little bit of a conundrum there. You heard it here first, everybody. <laughs> Shock horror. Yeah. Um, but also the fact that everybody, after they've made the decision that was right at the time, yep. they're going to second-guess it. And I can't remember the author. Is it Catherine Schultz of a book called Being Wrong? Don't know. Great book. I remember reading that. And it was, again, it's all about truly great leaders need to be willing to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Six months ago when I made that decision, based on the evidence and the data we had at the time, yeah. that was the right decision. But now it's not the right decision. And I remember running, you saw I run sessions. I was running session, a session in, in, where was it? I think it was Milan with a Danish leadership com oh, those, Danish that, company. What, those days when you could get on a plane, Nick? Absolutely. Oh, wow. Do you remember what they were? Not really. Um, but I remember we, we were talking about this whole subject about decision-making, particularly use of data. Yeah. One of the leaders, and I thought this showed real humility. I was really impressed by this. Yep. Not just the insight, but his willingness to share it as a learning point. He said, do you know what you've made me realise, Nick, is I make a decision and then I ask my team to provide me with the data to support my decision. <laughs> right. That's confirmation bias, right? Absolutely. And oh. he said, no, my job is to come up with the right decision. Gotcha. And that might not come from me. It could come from anywhere. Maybe those people closest to the problem. Absolutely. And he didn't use the words, but, he, you know, in essence, he was saying, as an enterprise leader, he needs to set the agenda. Okay. So problem solver to uh, agenda setter. What's yep. number four, Nick? So number four is from player to conductor. Player to conductor. All right. And again, this is a little bit of the T-shaped the leader. You know, in general, you play, a, you know, in an orchestra, you play a particular instrument whether it's the violin, the trumpet, or trombone, or whatever. Similarly, in business, you play a particular instrument, whether that's marketing, HR, finance, or whatever. Right. The role of the conductor is fundamentally different. So, first of all, a conductor doesn't have to play all the instruments. You know, most conductors tend to have a good ear for music. They might have right. played the piano or whatever, but they don't actually have to play the instrument. 
their role is to orchestrate, to conduct. You know, first of all, make sure they've got the right orchestra. Um, make sure they practiced. I saw a brilliant video, which I'd highly recommend, of Zubin Mater conducting Bolero with the Los Angeles Philharmonic Orchestra. Okay. And half of the video is them playing it. The other half is the preparation for it. And what you really pick up is the amount of detailed preparation that they've gone into. Right. And not just of the orchestra, but of, the, of all the other people making sure the seats are laid out, the acoustics and everything are right. But his role was to, was to pull all that together, prepare. But then during the performance, his role was to, to keep the timing, to focus them on the right direction. During the preparation, his role was to motivate. What was fascinating to me, though, was he didn't always do this in a nice way. Right. But he was quite robust in his feedback when somebody didn't, you know, particularly in Bolero, where you're repeating the same thing. It's all about the transitions. When somebody came in too early, he, he would stop. And he would give them sharp feedback. In the moment. In the in moment. In the moment feedback. Um, in a robust way. I think okay. it's called Radical Candor. Oh, that's a good book too. Another good book. It's not everyone's. Um, uh, I've never had a <laughs> single original idea. I've stolen them all from somewhere. Um, it's another good book. But the fact was they respected him. And because they recognised that they were all trying to perform the, the best performance ever, they were willing to take on. Right. And I think the other thing, of course, I don't know, it's a bit cliched, but what happens at the end of a concert? What, standing ovation? But what does the, what does the uh, conductor do? Oh, normally does this so to the, the orchestra. So the conductor returns to the orchestra, asks them all yes. to stand up, and then bows with them. Ah, I'll run with you. Rather, and then a standing ovation. Yeah, rather than the ego who stands up and goes, well, forget all of you, look at me, 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 look what I've done. Okay. I remember seeing a great cartoon years ago, The Great Pyramid of Cheops. And they're all the slaves all lying around, absolutely exhausted. And there's this little pharaoh figure with his headdress on going, look what I did, look what I did. <laughs> so player to conductor. Um, I love that. So number five. So number five, I'd probably pick on from the supporting cast to the lead player. Support cast, lead player. Go for that then. So probably lead player is not a good word. But the thing about being an enterprise leader is everybody is watching you every minute of the day and the, the spotlight is on you the whole time and you have to understand somebody I think called it the leader's wake that if you're in a little boat driving down a, a canal or a river and you speed up what you don't see behind you is the wake of the boat doing all the damage right because you're focused on on yourself and, and driving forward the emotional wake is you've had a really really bad weekend you're in a foul mood. You come in on a Monday morning. All people can see is your foul mood. They can't see what happened behind it. Right. And then somebody says, oh, hang on a minute. I think, I think the CEO was seeing the chairman on Friday about a new investment. He's in a really bad mood. Oh, no. Does that mean we're not getting the investment? Oh, crikey. We're all going to be out of a job. I tell you what, I'm ringing the headhunters now and getting a new and there's job. There's the wake. And that's the emotional wake. Right. And I, I mentioned Thomas Chamorris Premiership, who I think is a great thinker. Yep. I read a really challenging article he wrote about this whole thing about authenticity, that we all need to be authentic. And his challenge was, as a leader, you can't be authentic all the time. You know, sometimes you're playing a role. And if you are feeling under enormous pressure and uncertainty, and I, I don't know the answer to this, but is it right to share that with everybody and discombobulate the whole organisation? I That's think being who you are 
not trying to be somebody you're not. George Bernard, uh, sorry, Oscar Wilde, great quote, be yourself, everybody else is taken. Yeah, that's right. So it's not trying to be somebody you're it's not. It's authenticity in context, though, isn't it? Yeah. Because if you have, you know, I talk to lots of senior leaders who have done secondments or, or periods of, of work in other cultures. If they were completely themselves, they might actually become abhorrent to that culture. Yeah. So they've got to, they've got to manipulate how they are. Still be authentic, but be authentic in context in order to be appropriate. Yeah. And if you're, I don't know if you remember Dad's Army. I do. Obviously, I'm much, much younger. Than I can't think. What is what was the Scots guy's name? Oh, no. Now you're asking. Private. I don't know. Anyway, but his famous saying was, we're doomed. We're all doomed. We're all doomed. <laughs> oh, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't remember that because I'm Fraser. too young. That was it. Fraser. Fraser. Daddy said, even though I'm only 40 years old. Actually, being 62 years old, I do remember that. But You but, heard it here first. But is it, you know, if, you know, the organisation's in real trouble, is it useful and valuable for the CEO to be going around saying, we're all doomed, you know, you, you know, and you can't lie. And it's like everything in life. I think this is one of the challenges of leader, leadership and leadership education yeah. is we try and say everything's either or. And it's a big grey area. Yeah, yeah. You've either got to be authentic or if you're not, you're inauthentic. No, it's about understanding your word, the context of what's going on and turning up in a way that is you but is relevant and helps the organisation in that situation. Yeah, weren't there some great examples at the start of the pandemic of organisations who were in trouble? You know, their revenue streams had been turned off almost overnight that actually went to their workforces and said, look, we, we are in trouble here. And actually we're trying to resolve it or yeah, and we yeah. want to include you in the conversation. And a lot of people actually said, well, let's all take pay. And they felt that they were part and parcel of the challenge and part and parcel of the solution. I'm not saying that's right for everyone, but it yeah, but, but was also, successful for some. But also, I think, and this is critical, those CEOs were giving them a hope that there is a way out yes. of this. And by the way... Rather than we're doomed. Yeah, and of course, being the conductor, not necessarily the player, and the agenda setter, you know, not necessarily the problem solving, saying, I need to involve you in all of this. Yeah, okay. That, you know, and, I, and I think that's the humility. And again, another favourite quote, I love my quotes, you know, leadership isn't about being great... It's about helping other people be great. Yeah. And that's the conductor role. Con you know, recruit the right orchestra. You know, let's agree what piece of music we're playing. Let's agree we're trying to be provide the best performance of Bolero ever. Okay. Prepare, give people feedback, etc. But help them perform to their best in a minute. All right. So support cast to lead player number five. Number six. Number six, which is some people struggle with. Okay. But it's from warrior to diplomat. Oh, warrior to diplomat. All right, tell us about this. And to me, I think the problem is that a lot of the study of, of leadership and business is all about von Clausewitz and Sun Tzu and the uh, art yeah, the of war. Of war. And, yeah. You know, strategy comes out of the military. So it's a battle that we've got to win. Well, I think particularly at a leadership position, it's not necessarily winning every battle. It's being the diplomat. You know, I think of an example. I haven't actually got it on me, but I always think of the Apple iPhone. Right. Who, I've got one here. Got one there we here. go. There you go. Look, there we go. Apple so, iPhone. Apple iPhone. Who makes the microprocessor in most of these? Um, don't know. Samsung. Okay. Who are Apple's biggest competitor? Don't know. Samsung. Oh, there you go. And, and that's the thing is, they, of course, want... They are. There's a warrior. They want to beat Samsung because they're both trying to sell... But equally, they're frenemies. Frenemies. <laughs> Frenemies. How's about another one? Co uh, Cooperition. Co 
Are you getting this, James? Frenemies, cooperative, <laughs> brand new words. I was going to I was going to use a word bull something, but I don't think I'm allowed to use four letter words in this book. <laughs> I have to tick a different box when I publish the podcast, Nick. But I, I think it's full as of simple it, as that. Point. But but this is about understanding as a leader that it's not just winning the battle. Sometimes it's redefining the the competitive space you're operating in. Okay. So a lot of organisations operate in a regulated environment. So it's not just fighting the competition. It's working with the regulator to redefine the rules of competition. Right. And sometimes you need to be working with the competition to influence the regulator. And I, and I think this is... But, again, diplomat isn't that big ego, bang, I'm winning. And that worries me of this whole sort of, you know, having been in the army, even though I was a failure... Um, you know, that whole <laughs> military view of leadership is we got to win the war, you know, we got to aim for the hill and beat, you know, and it's no, you know, at the end of the day, we've got to survive. <laughs> Listen, these are six great or these are the, the, the six mindsets of the enterprise yeah. leader. So I've got tactical to strategic, uh, the bricklayer to architect, problem solver to agenda setter, player to conductor, support cast to lead player and warrior to diplomat. Absolutely. And I'm glad you repeated that because I was panicking beforehand that I wouldn't be able to remember. I was, I was actually going to say, so Nick, just give me a summary of those six. That would have been unfair, <laughs> wouldn't it? I'm, I'm making a note of them. I, um, I struggle. I, I realise I made this horrendous mistake because it's six. Whereas <laughs> I was a, counting for you, so it's fine. Between us, we, we've, you we've know got the, enough. You know the rule of three? Go for it. Well, three little pigs. What is it? Egalité, fraternité. can't even remember the last one. But if you remember things. Oh, three triplicacy, things. yeah. With, uh, you know, kind of laws of persuasion yeah. always in In fact, they, they always say that there are three types of mathematician in the world. Look, there we go. Look, how to, how to use the rule of three for better marketing contract. Changes to put that up on the screen. I love it. <laughs> See, that's why I need to be in the studio more. My um, rule of three is there are three types of mathematician in the world. Go on. Those who can count and those who can't. <laughs> Hang on. Have we got a symbol sound, James, that we can add into this? I think maybe he's doing it now, I think, post-production or, or, or during production. Um, a couple of questions. to Tell us a little bit about CRF, because I know you're doing great work and CRF, Corporate Research Forum, are doing great work to uh, a vast array of clients. Just get a little, little bit of a shout-out for them, Nick. So CRF, Corporate Research Forum, whole focus is on HR. Yeah. But intriguingly, and this is why I've known Mike, who founded CRF 25-odd years ago. I've known him for 30 years. And yep. we share the same view. Actually, HR isn't about HR. Right. It's about the business. Okay. So we work with the HR function, but helping them be more strategic, more commercial, recognising HR is not about doing HR. It's about making a difference to the business. Okay. And if people want to check that out, because they are HR professionals, sure. where could they go? Where, where's the best place? crforum.co.uk. There you go. That's absolutely great. People want to connect with you, Nick, because they want to carry on the conversation and learn more. How do they do that? Um, I was going to say, way. give me a phone, but probably nobody uses phone calls nowadays. No, LinkedIn. So, Nick, well, I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. I'm on Twitter. Um, As what? Nick Holly? Nick, I think Twitter, I'm Nick underscore Holly. Right. I think LinkedIn, I'm, but if you, if you just search on LinkedIn for Nick Holly. Nick Holly HR. Exactly. If You'll you search for you. Nick Holly, apparently you get some college. Uh, quarterback in a in I saw I tried States. that the other day and I was thinking that's definitely not Nick I don't know who that is it used to uh, when you know 15 years ago when I went on my own it was great you you you, you know you, you googled Nick Holly and there were hundreds of hundreds. nowadays I come in like you take, page 28 there we go look James has got it on the screen look Nick underscore Holly there you are there we go there's, there's pictures of you um I've got my last question sure because this this is for, I always love spending time with you is what 
would be the most powerful piece of leadership advice you think you've received or given? And it's very much whatever is front of mind because it's so contextualized. But what kind of just springs to your mind? So, so actually, it's slightly separate to what we talked about. Okay, but that's fine. And, and forgive me if it's two. Oh, I, I always when I when I'm running a program, I always say to people, "What are the two most important things a leader needs to do?" Yeah. So, what do you reckon? <sighs> Understand himself. Nope. Lead through others. Nope. Excellent. What are they then? Stay alive. <laughs> And stay sane. Stay alive and stay sane. Hang because on, I'm making a note. Are we getting this, James? Stay alive and stay sane. But in all fairness, in all seriousness, leadership is an incredibly high-pressured role. And what worries me is people over, they push themselves too far. You know, as a leader, I have to solve all the problems. I have to build everything, you know, and all that pressure. And I think the essence of what we talked about today is you've got to just stop doing things. Free up time to do your real job. But I think you also need to free up time to look after yourself physically, so mentally, true. spiritually, because it's all very well being a great leader. But if you're dead, you can't lead very well. Yeah, there's, there's too much death and, if and you're chaos in the bonkers. world. <laughs> look, looking at me when you said that, Nick, which is for a, a probably radical candor yeah. and feedback. So actually look after yourself as a leader. Try. I've got another question for you. As you had two, you I've said got, it was the I, last I, one. I, like, I can't help myself. You're, you're one um, of those mathematicians who can't count. I, it's true. It's true. <laughs> just one. No, it's Colombo. Just one more question. I don't know Colombo. That's before. Uh, what's my, been your biggest learning out of this crazy pandemic couple of years? And it may be a real personal piece of learning, but <sighs> what comes to mind for you? Because this has been this has been tough on everyone. And you know, you and I were on planes all the time and traveling the world and staying and being with leaders, and it was great fun. I, th I think. I guess my biggest piece of learning yep. is four-letter word happens. Right. Bad things happen. Yeah. Get on with it. You know, don't don't wallow in. You know, particularly for instance in our field. In March last year, in the space of probably a week, one hundred percent of my business disappeared. Almost, I remember talking to you almost that time. overnight yeah. because it involved flying around the world. At the time, I thought, right, Zoom teams there's a massive opportunity here to take my business online now funnily enough i've been preparing for it without my knowing it because increasingly clients wanted me to do remote work yep. where i was in a studio like this videoing programs etc that would then be rolled out for i remember one company ten thousand managers which you can't do face to face so i kind of was ready for it and that it's that ability i'm sorry to use the, the word pivot yeah At that moment no, it's a good word it, what intrigues me is there's still people in our profession who are waiting to get back to normal. Oh, clinging on to the way it used yeah, to be. It's yeah. never going to happen. Yeah. We're never, ever going back to the way it was. And therefore, it wasn't necessarily something new, but it just reinforced. I used the phrase earlier, the only outcome you won't get is the one you expect. Yeah, that's so true. So react to what's happening. You know, never waste a good crisis. <laughs> good Turn advice. Turn every threat into an opportunity. All the cliches are coming out now. But to me, it taught me more than anything. Just, just deal with it. Yeah. You can't change the pandemic, but you can change how you react to it. Oh, Nick, I love it. Have you enjoyed this experience coming into the studio for the Leadership Enigma? No, it's been a total waste of time. Well, there we go. Big shout especially, out to Lord Podge. Especially for all the people listening. No, oh, the poor James. I've We're going to shout out to James it. Alexandra and Lord Podge Studios. Nice, especially having a nice cup of coffee. Yeah, which is actually not true, is it? Because let's be honest. We've actually been drinking beer uh, in this, but uh, that was all James's fault, but we, we won't admit to that. Uh, it's Nick, a very nice beer, James, by the way. Charles, thank you very much for being an amazing guest and a great friend uh, for the Leadership Enigma. And let's do this again.
my pleasure. And we'll Thoroughly just tell more it. jokes. Yeah, absolutely. Many thanks. I look forward to seeing everybody very, have very got, soon. Have you got the symbol ka-ching? ka-ching. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll add that in. We'll add that in. I look forward to seeing you for the next episode of The Leadership Enigma very, very soon. Well, it's every week, so next week. Join us again next week for more tips and strategies on The Leadership Enigma. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with your host on LinkedIn or our YouTube channel. And remember to get your daily learning to build success at www.insights.emeritus.org. Download the Insights app and start learning for free. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on all your major podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.